To celebrate, or maybe lament, depending on how you look at it, the addition of Pyra and Mithra in Smash, let's look back at Xenoblade 2 and all the things it accomplished. Plus, Pokemon fishing lures? It's all coming up here on the Game Guide Podcast. Welcome to the Game Guide Podcast, your guide to the world of gaming. I'm Phil Anderson. I'm glad you have joined us for this special episode. And by special, I mean second episode. It's always special when you're starting off a podcast for the first time. And I am overjoyed that I've come back for a second episode. I've learned a lot from the first episode. I've learned that my chair creaks way too much. So I decided to now sit on the floor underneath the desk of my computer to try to get the highest quality possible and not have to worry about all these different creaks that are going on in the background. So we'll try this down here. As always, if you have any feedback of any sort or want to add questions or things I should cover, you can always email me at gameguidepodcast at gmail.com. I hope to improve each and every week as I do these, so hopefully you can help me grow along this path. And I can try to come back week after week giving you all the latest news that you may or may not want to know about. But let's get started through the information that we got from this last week on video games. First thing I want to talk about is we had an announcement and a debut trailer for the third-person co-op shooter, Aliens Fireteam. It will be on the PS4 and PS5, Xbox One and Series X, and Steam, and comes out this summer. This is to be a standalone title compared to other games in the Aliens franchise, but it has all the Aliens IPs that you know and love from the movie series and everything there. When you look at the trailers and everything, it looks reminds me a lot of Left 4 Dead, if you know that series, the game series of first-person shooters of going on an adventure to beat up all these aliens and get to the goal that you can do with co-op or single player. There seems to just be a lot of aliens content that has been going on, such as when you look at Fortnite when they recently had their characters added to the Fortnite game. But the game, if you're interested in those type of co-op shooters, this might be a game that you want to look at and have some fun this summer. Just from looking at the trailer, it seems a lot more action-based rather than the horror, thriller, suspense type movies you get from other games and from the movies, but this might be something that people want to look at. So hopefully we'll get more information. I'm sure we'll get more trailers and details, but this is what we have so far for the newly announced Aliens Fire Team. So we'll keep our eye on it. If you know anything about Elden Ring, Elden Ring is a game that's been announced for a couple years now that's supposed to be a fantasy action RPG type type game that's going to be developed by From Software and published by Bandai Namco that's going to be released for Windows, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One. The special thing about this game is that it's being directed by the guy that's best known for creating the Souls series, so like Dark Souls, those really tough games where you often die a lot, but the story and world building is going to be written by George R.R. Martin, 
as you know from the popular series games game of thrones so a lot of people are looking forward to this but we just haven't had any information about this game elden ring but recently there was a leaked trailer and it's hard to say that's necessarily a trailer. It seems like it might have been just for shareholders. But if you go on the internet, you can find a leaked trailer of Elden Ring, which is one of the first things we've heard about this game in quite some time. It seems like it's almost become a meme with Half-Life 3, where it's just like, oh, it might, it might come out, it might not come out, who knows? It may it's been canceled, no one's told us about it, but it seems like it's still out there. And for people who are fans of George R.R. R. Martin and just the idea of a dark fantasy type game seems a lot of people are looking forward to it so they just want any news that they can get from it i'm sure we'll get more news about elden ring in the future i think it, this would be a fun game to try out but right now we don't have more that much information but you can find a, a leak trailer if you go on youtube and you can see a little bit of what this game might look like we also had got news this week that the PlayStation Store is going to discontinue their movie and TV purchases and rentals starting August 31st. We have a blog here from PlayStation, which was written by Vanessa Lee, who's head of video business at SIE. I, I'll read this off real quick. At SIE, we strive to provide the best entertainment experience for PlayStation fans, and that means evolving our offerings as customer needs change. We've seen tremendous growth from PlayStation fans using subscription-based and ad-based entertainment streaming services on our consoles. With the shift in customer behavior, we have decided to no longer offer movie and TV purchases and rentals through the PlayStation Store as of August 31st, 2021. When this change takes effect, users can still access movie and TV content they have purchased through the PlayStation Store for on-demand playback on their PS4, PS5, and mobile devices. We thank our fans for their continued support, and we look forward to further enhancing the entertainment experience on PlayStation. So, I don't know how much of a surprise this is to anyone. It seems it's just a lot of different services that do things better than what PlayStation had to offer, so they're just cutting the fat, if you will, on their on PlayStation services. There's just so many different places you can stream and get those kind of things. And it just, I never really got anything from PlayStation for movie watching or anything, so I won't miss it at all. But if you do have, if you have been a part of that service, you can still get all the movies and TVs before August 31st to have for your entertainment. There's always that idea of how game consoles might become the entertainment hub when I think back to the 360 and to the previous console generations and stuff there's the idea like oh you can have everything on this console it's essentially going to be your the only media player you need in your house that mindset really changed quite a bit where then your tvs started to be able to stream things and browse the internet and then you had your phones and everything so the market definitely changed where you're not going to have your gaming console be that one-stop shop for streaming and everything i'm sure that it might be for some people for myself i'm usually watching things via my phone or my laptop or my tv too i guess going like i have a i don't have too many streaming services but i have an amazon prime and other services and so it just was easy to go through my tv to do that and just 
PlayStation thing was just never used. Then you have to start up the PlayStation, and you have to go to the PlayStation store, and then you have to do everything there. So it just wasn't worth it. So I understand what they're doing with this, but hopefully they can dedicate more time to pursuing other things, and we'll see. We'll see how things go. There was a large conference that occurred on March 4th named the New Game Plus Expo. There were a lot of game announcements that are too many to go over because I want to keep this podcast a little bit shorter than last episode. But I think one announcement stood out among the rest that I want to talk about. Guilty Gear Strive. It's a popular fighting game. It's in an anime-based style. That game has been delayed a bit to June 11th. They recently had a beta that they put out, and they got a lot of feedback from the game, and so they wanted to delay it by a month and a half, a couple months, to fine-tune everything and make it the best game possible before launch. I played that beta when it was first out. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it the... I played it as the power-hitting Mei, who was able to summon dolphins and seals to help fighter battles. Mr. Dolphin. The idea was you can charge with Mr. Dolphin, ride Mr. Dolphin to beat up your enemies. So that was fun. I didn't win very much, but it was at least still a good time that I had with the beta. I don't know if I'll pick up Guilty Gear Strive. I've always had a problem getting really in-depth with fight with uh, fighting games, but who knows? We'll get we'll see in the future. It had the the new system for online play called Rollback Netcode, which I can talk about later on more in depth, but this idea that you have the games or the internet try to predict what your next move will be, and so it tries to keep internet quality as seamless as possible between two players, so it works out a lot better compared to other fighting game internet connections and stuff, where in case the computer does get something wrong, then it just rolls back to a previous part, so you might have a little bit glitchiness there, but otherwise it works out really well. When I played some games online on the Guilty Gear beta, it seemed to work out really well. Only had one frame of delay, so it was like practically playing with someone in person. So I think that will be a really good thing to have in future fighting games, and just other games in general, to have the rollback netcode to be able to have seamless internet play rather than having some more laggy play. Like the idea when you have Smash, where you have about 13 lag frames, you can definitely notice it if you play Smash a lot, where everything just seems to be delayed by just a fraction of a second. But that, that fraction of a second can mean life or death when you're trying to fight enemies off the battlefield. So hopefully new fighting games will implement the rollback netcode, but we'll see what happens. And we'll see if I pick up any of these games. Then one other news story from last week I want to share. That I know this is the reason why you're actually listening for at the podcast right now is we got an announcement about some Pokemon fishing lures. And when I'm talking about Pokemon fishing lures, I'm talking about real life Pokemon fishing lures. You can find the YouTube videos for these lures in the description below, but you have two different fishing lures that are being released one of Pikachu and one of the legendary sea monster Kyogre. And if you watch these videos, it's kind of funny to see. Pikachu or Kyogre just along the surface of the water acting as one of those fishing lures for you know those fish to get tricked in and for you to make your big catch in the real world. I like the Kyogre one the most because it looks like he's just having fun just swimming around. And when you think of Kyogre, the Pokemon, you think of this really large sea monster beast that's just 
roaming everywhere, causing it to rain and throwing water everywhere. But here you just got a little tiny Kyogre just paddling along. So that's always fun. So if you're looking for an early Christmas present or maybe a birthday present for that Fisher person who is also a fan of Pokemon, I think this is one of the best things you can get them. Either a Pikachu or a Kyogre fishing lure. I recommend checking out that video, but yeah, if you're into fishing, this might be the best thing for you. Another part that I want to implement into these weekly podcasts is just looking at the releases that are coming up in the next week. Not every week will have the greatest of releases, but I thought well, I just want to have this going out every week. So, you know, some things that are popping up and then maybe be like, yeah, I want to try that out. So we have a few games this week. We have Apex Legends, which is coming out, which is coming out on March 9th on the Nintendo Switch. Apex Legends is a pretty popular shooting game that people are enjoying. I know at least one of my friends that play plays it and they like the cooperating with their friends and playing that. There's definitely a market and we'll see how well it performs on Switch. I think some people want to pick up Apex Legends. Will I pick it up? I don't think so right now, but who knows? We'll see. For those of you who like Toho Project type games, uh, Toho Project games are, you know, where you see the games where you're just one character and then there's all these different flashing lights everywhere and you're trying to weave and dodge through all the, the flashy bullets to try to beat the enemy and shoot them down. That's what a Toho project is. It usually has the cute anime girls and stuff like that. And there's been a racing game for the Toho project that's been out for a while, but now it's coming out on March 9th on the PS4 called Gensoul Skydrift, where essentially you have a girl that's using another girl as a surfboard and you're trying to win the race. It's very odd. I will not pick it up myself. I don't have any attachment to the Toho series of games, but this might be enjoyable for some people. So if you like racing games, at least, or you like the Toho series, this might be something you want to get. But I'm assuming you probably already got this game on Steam when it first came out a little while ago. One game I thought would be funny that's coming out on PC such as Steam is Fireworks Simulator Realistic. I don't think, I don't know that this will be a game that's good at all, but you know, it's fireworks in case you couldn't go outside last year to look at all the fireworks that are going, going off. Here you might get a chance to look at the fireworks in simulation. It has not been released yet. It has no reviews of any sort. I can kind of figure out why that might be, but in case you need some fireworks in your life, might be good to check that out on March 10th on the Steam store or elsewhere. And then probably the biggest thing that's coming out this week, it's another re-release, but you have Crash 4, It's About Time, coming out on the Switch, PS5, and Series X this week. I thought it was coming out on March 11th, but when I was looking at the different release dates, it seems like it's coming out on March 12th. So one of those two days, Crash 4 is coming out. People really like the Crash series. I don't think it sold as well as they wanted to, but it's nice that it's being released on these other consoles with updates and everything. I really like that for the Switch version, they even updated the art style a little bit, so it runs a bit smoother on the console, because, you know, the Switch doesn't have as much power as these other consoles like the PS4 and whatnot, but... You know, that they put in the time to 
make the Switch version updated so it ran a bit better, I think, was really, really good on their part. But in case you haven't picked up Crash 4 already, back when it released in September or whenever that was, you'll have a chance to get it on these new systems. And then one other thing I think would be good for our PlayStation owners to know is that PlayStation has restarted their Play at Home initiative. It's a thing that they did last year where they offered a bunch of free games, you know, to get you to stay at home and not go outside. It's something that's, it's not a problem for me to not go outside, but for some people, you know, they might want to go outside in this pandemic-filled world. But for March through June, they'll be offering free games from the PlayStation Store. You don't have to have a PlayStation Plus account or anything. You can just get a free game and then it's yours forever. And this month, they will be having the Ratchet and Clank remake game will be free until the end of March. It made me feel old when I looked back at the original release of this game, which was April 2016. Like, wow, that's that's a long time away. But now we're almost at the five-year anniversary. I feel, I feel like I just came out a couple years ago, but if you never picked up the Ratchet and Clank game, you have, you may be able to get this game for free without a PlayStation Plus account and be able to play it whenever you want. I already downloaded it. You can do it until the end of March. So if you have a PlayStation, I'd recommend you do that if you haven't already picked it up and play it sometime in the future. I think it's always great to have these free games. And even with not having a PlayStation Plus account, they can get these free games. I wish other... Other companies, I'm looking at Nintendo right now, would also be this consumer-friendly. But we'll get there someday. I, I believe in, in them all. So now, I just want to gush a little bit about Xenoblade 2. I got really excited when Pyra and Mithra were announced for Smash. As I mentioned in the last episode, Xenoblade Chronicles, number one, is my favorite game. One of my favorite games. And to have the sequel to, to that game, Xenoblade Chronicles 2, was really fun to have. Especially for, on the Switch, to have updated graphics and everything. Because when you look back at the original Xenoblade Chronicles, it definitely, the looks that it had didn't look good back in the day. You know, you have a, a super big RPG on the Wii versus having it on one of the Xbox 360 or PS3 at the time, but everything was looking a little bit blocky, but then to have Xenoblade Chronicles 2 on the Switch and have everything look updated, it was just a, a dream come true. I wanted to have more Xenoblade in my life. Eventually we did get Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, where everything looks a lot nicer now on the Switch for that original game, but with Pyra and Mithra announced for Smash, I wanted to look back at Xenoblade Chronicles 2. It's, uh, I think it's a really good game that not everyone will look at due to a, a few circumstances, just like its art style or anything like that. But I think people should know about it so they have more idea of why Pyra and Mithra are in Smash. And who knows, maybe even try to pick up the game and see what it's all about. But Xenoblade Chronicles 2 was released in 2017. That was the first year of the Switch. So this was one of those, not a launch title, because... The Switch came out in March, and then this game didn't get released until December, but it was one of those first-year titles. It was, uh, or it is, an JRPG developed by Monolith Soft and published by Nintendo. Uh, if For some gaming history, used to have a company called Squaresoft, which did a lot of RPGs for the time. It eventually split up into two different companies. 
where you had Square Enix and then Monolith Soft. Square Enix, as you know, has been doing all their things with Final Fantasy and other software, but then Monolith Soft got the series called the Xenogear, Xenosaga, the Xeno series, if you will, and they were publishing those games, and they were eventually bought by, bought by Nintendo to be kind of become a JRPG, a Japanese RPG producer, and also to help them out with a lot of other games. And so now Soft has been helping Nintendo with making their games and producing these JRPGs, especially those in the Xenoblade series, where you have Xenoblade 1, which I've talked about, Xenoblade Chronicles X, and now you have Xenoblade Chronicles 2. It just has a lot of different unique settings and characters to be a more story-driven game. When you look back at Xenoblade Chronicles X, that was a lot more action-based and more on exploration and driving around and beating up enemies. But this Xenoblade Chronicles 2 became a lot more story-driven. To give you a little bit of the feel, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 takes place in an area called Allrest, which is covered a covered land by clouds. They called it the Cloud Sea, and it just covers the entire area. And then you have all these different ships and large, giant, living continents. Like, almost these monsters, but they're just giant continents. Like, imagine if the Earth was alive. Maybe it is. I don't know. Who knows about the Earth? But imagine if the Earth was alive and shaped like a giant turtle, and it moved around in, in a sea full of clouds. That's kind of what you have for Xenoblade Chronicles 2 universe. Those living continents were called Titans. And then you also had humans. Some humans could harness the abilities of these sword spirits called blades. And so you have humans known as drivers can summon these blades from crystals. And then you have this dual driver-blade relationship which drives the story of the game. So then you have, at the beginning of the game, you have this one kid, this one guy who dies below the cloud sea to pick up stuff to salvage them. His name is Rex. He's our main character. And he goes and helps out these people on a job to help excavate this ship that was abandoned. And eventually he meets a legendary blade named Pyra. And Pyra wants to go to this paradise known as Elysium on top of the world tree and so Rex and a bunch of other people he meets along the way go to try to get to Elysium and get to this place that Pyra wants to go to known as the world tree so you have this relationship between Rex and Pyra and eventually get to meet Mithra as well and you try to go on this adventure you're always hunted by the evil group known as Torna who is set on taking the power of Pyra and using it for whatever nefarious deeds that they want to. I can't say too much. I don't want to spoil many things, if at all. Please understand. But you just go on this adventure, this maybe about 80-hour long adventure, assuming you're not doing too many side quests, and you try to figure out what's going on in the world and try to help out Rex and Pyra on their journey to give some thoughts about this game. When I first got this, it seemed that the art style of Xenoblade 2 was a lot more cel-shaded than I thought before. When you look at the Wii game, even though it was, you know, in the in an anime-type style of things, it was a lot more cel-shaded and a lot more 
had a lot more anime tropes than I was expecting from the first game. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. It just might be a little bit more off-putting than what you might expect when you're coming from a more Western audience and, you know, you have the idea of more serious Western story versus more lighthearted Japanese stories. But, yeah, it caught me off guard a little bit, but I think I really got attached to all the different colors and just having all the different characters. There's a lot of different characters in this game that come from a variety of backgrounds and have a variety of personalities. You have some that are lighthearted and funny. You have some that are very sarcastic, such as Mithra, and you also have some more serious type characters. So there's a lot of different characters you can have. And with all the blades that you can get in the game, there's just a ton of different personalities and tons of different backstories that you can have as well that you can learn more about. A little bit more about the how the game actually plays. You know, you have this JRB key, you're just moving around with this party that's just moving around all these different fantastical worlds. But in actual combat, you essentially have three different moves that you can choose from that you go up and battle against these monsters or these enemies, whatever you happen to be fighting. And it's more it's kind of hard to describe what exactly the fight style is, is like. It's If you've ever played a Final Fantasy game, it's a lot more along those lines where everything's in real time and you're picking moves to do, but it's not as intense with it. Like No matter where you're going to be around the enemy, you're probably going to be hit, get hit with things unless it's specifically charging forward or whatnot. But you can still move around the enemy and you can pick what command to use. Otherwise, your attacks are all automatic, and they automatically hit the enemy. So there's not really as much you have to do, but there's still the strategy of picking the skills and doing the things that will help get the enemy in a break condition that will make them fall down and topple. They can launch them into the air, and then you can smash them into the ground for massive damage. So you're always trying to build around your battle techniques around those things to be able to beat the enemies quickly and efficiently before they can unleash their moves against you. And then you also have different elements that you get from the different blades and from the different moves that you can do. You have fire elements, light elements that work well against certain enemies and that you can also chain with your other party members to beat up on the enemies. So it's not super intense. The most intense things you'll have to do in combat are hit a button in time with a rhythm or quickly mash a button in rapid su succession but it's not nothing is too intense but i think in the early game things they seem really simple where you're just kind of standing there and just watching the auto attack go on and just wondering all right what do i do but as you get more and more into the the game you figure out all the different strategies you can do to break topple launch and smash the enemies and also what combos you can do and that kind of stuff, but it grows over time as you learn more about the game. And I always appreciate those things about different games where it's not necessarily maybe about a level-up system, even though there is in Xenoblade 2 having a level-up system, but it's something that you just grow with the game. You learn to combat, you learn how to fight enemies, and you just continue on and get, just get better at the game, rather than having to be held back by a level system. You just learn throughout the, the adventure and you become stronger. You're like, yeah, I've improved. And we all want to prove, right? 
some real special things about this game. I think the music is phenomenal. It's I even think I like the music in this game rather than Xenoblade 1. Even though I like Xenoblade 1 more as a whole, I think Xenoblade 2 really does really well with uh, the music. Some tracks that are really fun are the More Ardain theme. I'll see if I can put some of these things in the podcast description. You have More Ardain for that Titan that you have. You have the Tantol theme. And a lot of the different battle themes that you have are really engaging. There is one special note that I wanted to talk about in this game where they got a, a vocalist group from Ireland called Anuna who did some music for the game. They, I believe they have maybe a 30-ish year history of doing vocals and everything. Definitely you should check them out if you're into vocals, like those acapella type groups. They're not entirely acapella because they do have some instruments in their things, but they're definitely, a lot of their focus is on making songs for vocalness and they do some songs of this game. One song that was especially popular that Nintendo promoted that Anuna did for this game was called Shadows of the Lowlands. It's this really melancholy type song that gives the idea of trying to think how not to spoil anything too much, but imagine this place that has the inability to grow any crops or to survive, but the people are working hard to thrive in their environment and so shadow of the lowlands plays in that area and so you get this this feeling of people just trying to survive and make with what they can so this one will definitely be in the podcast description so i recommend you listen to that music video but they do anuna does some other songs in the game that are really uh as the atmospheres to the areas that you're doing and stuff so yeah, it's just nice that they have this vocalist group doing these songs. I always think video game music gets a bad rap in these in this day and age, but to have some of this music, I think it's really nice. So give some of that music a listen. One thing, as a side note, that I noticed for Anuna's website, where they talk about the music that they did for Xenoblade 2, is that they say that the game was made by Square Enix, where if you... Listen back, Square Enix did not make this game. It was Monolith Soft that made this game. So I don't, I don't know why they did that. I don't plan on emailing them anytime soon to fix their mistake. But just so you know, might be some errors. There's every, there's errors everywhere. Hope there's no errors in this podcast. But you know, we just keep trying. Environments in this game look really cool, even on the Switch. Which might not be your most powerful console, but you just take, take a look back and see all these different atmospheres and different places that you can go with all these different titans. Xenoblade 1 had a variety of different places that you can look at and just enjoy the environment, but Xenoblade 2 has a lot more diversity, I feel, since you're traveling to all these different titans. I think they're all great. Morardane, Uriah, Tantal, and there's, when you look at some of these places at day versus at night, you really get that, like that idea that, wow, this is a really big place, and there's just a lot of mystery and wonder that you can have. Definitely places here that put places on Earth to shame. But if you ever play the game, I just look around, just put the camera in the free mode and just look around the area, see all the different sites that you can see. And just exploring in the game is always fun because there's all sorts of different things that you can see in the game. It's all great. 
Another thing that's nice about this game is that there are memes galore. There's one particular meme that I want to talk about where you had this set of enemies where they were just really obnoxious. I don't know what they were thinking with the English dub of this game, but there's just a few enemies that at the early release of this game, when it first launched, that would just say their lines constantly over and over again. Uh, some of those lines included, Don't forget me, and think you can take me? So imagine those those lines getting repeated over and over again, especially if, if you're fighting than more than one of that enemy. And so you just have them talking over the lines and constantly repeating, Don't forget me! Think you can take me? Even though some people might have found it annoying, I found it really funny and just... You know, it's just one of those quirks about the game that I guess helps you to remember all these different things. The sad thing about it is that a few months after launch, they edited or muted the lines entirely. So, such as, don't forget me, got abbreviated to, don't forget. And, you know, it's really sad. I, if they were really worried about having the lines play too much, then just have the lines not play as much. But to just cut out the lines... So you can't even get the full line. That, that may be really sad. But we'll always remember them. We'll never forget them. There's some other times with the English dub that you're like a little meh. What? I don't know what the voice direction was here. I've listened to a few scenes in the Japanese original dub. I played the game entirely in English, but I've listened to a few scenes in the Japanese. And it seems like the voice direction was better there. When you look at the English dub for Rex, the main character, it seems like he didn't really know what he was voicing in the early parts of the game, but even just listening to him over the course of the game and all lines he recorded, it sounded like he just got more of the hang of it as he went on, so I think that was good, but sometimes the voices were just comically mediocre when you listen to them, so if you ever play the game, I'm sure you'll hear what I mean, but... Yeah, I think it depends on how you like your Japanese RPGs. Do you need a dub to get you more immersed, or can you listen to more of the Japanese voices? But it still, still is a good time. As I said, I'll, I'll never forget them. And there's just so much content in this game. There's so many blades that you can get throughout the entire game, and all with different personalities. So this game had pretty good reviews and everything. Had the great story, combat, music, all those things. It fell out of the top ten list of best-selling games that on the Switch for a while, but I don't, so I don't know exactly how much it sold. But it sold over two million copies by the end of 2020, making it the best-selling title in the Xeno series. So I think that was really good. They also released a DLC for the game, which eventually became its own game called Xenoblade Chronicles 2: Torna: The Golden Country. I started playing that again. I never really got into Torna, the Golden Country, when it first came out. But I started playing it a bit more now that Pirate Mithra are in Smash. That DLC takes place 500 years before the main game and does some different things with gameplay mechanics. I said I'm playing through that right now, so I don't know entirely what happens. But if you really wanted to, you could play Torna, the Golden Country before you play Xenoblade 2. I guess it would be a prequel, and so it would spoil some things in Xenoblade 2, but you no, know, it just depends. The Golden 
Torn of the Golden Country also seems to be a lot shorter. I don't know how long it supposedly is. I remember looking at how long does it take to complete this game, and I'm seeing a number around 25 hours. I'm assuming I'll take a little bit longer than that, but it might be a shorter, shorter adventure if you're looking for that. With all games that I talk about and review, I want to have not really a rating system. Like, this is an 8.5 out of 10. I want, I think a lot of games can be enjoyed by a lot of people. It just depends on what type of genres you like. So, for Xenoblade 2, I would recommend Xenoblade 2 to you to play is if you like breathtaking sceneries. Everything's super beautiful in this game. You love engaging stories with a cast of characters. Or you enjoy world immersion, incredible music, and you don't necessarily need intense action to keep you entertained, which is essentially kind of what an RPG is. So if you like RPGs, this is going to be a great game for you. If you also like story that has a lot of behind-the-scenes action to it, like a lot of imagery, like there's a lot of religious and cultural imagery through the story of the game, but you have the idea of Elysium, this paradise, this Garden of Eden-type place, if you will, you have the world tree, you know, Yggdrasil, the world tree that's in a lot of different myth, myths and things. You have kind of this Pope-like figure that's in the game, which has a lot of commentary there. So if you like that kind of imagery, that's also something you can look at. I might not recommend Xenoblade 2 to you if you don't really like a plethora of pointless side quests. There's a whole lot of side quests you can do in this game, which, you know, you might not necessarily really want to spend your time with, but you have to at least do some in order to make sure you have a have a high experience level and can fight off some of the enemies. So that's something that you'll want to keep in mind. If you don't like anime tropes or that artistic art style, like in a fantasy setting and that kind of stuff, there are different tropes that you might get annoyed with. And also if you don't like games with gacha mechanics, gacha mechanics are type of things where it's kind of random chance what you might get for a character or something. And when you're trying to get all the different blades in Xenoblade 2, it's a, it's a lot of different random chance of trying to get a new blade. So it takes dozens and dozens of hours to even try to get all the blades. It might even take, might even have, have well over 200 hours in the game to just try to get all the blades that you can. So if you don't like constantly trying to roll and re-roll for different blades, you might not like it as much. And I think the same ideas go for Turner of the Golden Country. But as far as I can tell, there's no gacha mechanics in that game, and it seems to be a lot shorter. So if you don't want to play necessarily a 80-hour or 100-hour game, you might be able to complete it in 25 or 40 hours. It also might be nice to play Xenoblade 1 first. I feel like the plot twists and things, that you'll like both games, but you'll definitely, your mind will be blown more with whatever game you play first rather than the other one. They have different story ideas, but I feel like you'll want to play one or the other where you'll have the most impact. So if you still want RPGs, I'd recommend Xenoblade just in general. So I've been rambling a bit, but get to talk brief briefly about Pyra and Mithra and Smash. They're really good characters. Right now, I think they're going to be in the top 15, at least in terms of competitive play. Probably really good in free-for-alls as well, where if you have Pyra, you just use your smash attacks to hit everyone and no one can be able to do anything. Mithra is fast, but it doesn't really hit that hard. So she does a lot, well, a lot better for combos. But then when you have Pyra that hits hard and you can instantly switch between the two of them, it's really easy to just beat up all your enemies that way, whether you're in competitive or 
on one-on-one -on -one battles or in a free-for-all. So I think Pyra and Mithra covers both both styles of fighting. Greatest thing that I like about Mithra, though, is that her down taunt, she says, think you can take me? Which, you know, is it's those lines that were removed from those enemies there say, like, don't forget me. Think you can take me? So I really enjoy that they made a reference to it. But the greatest thing about this is for the presentation on Pyro and Mithra, they always have me costumes that go on that they reveal that you can buy for 75 cents or whatever to put on your Miis to play as in the game. But in the presentation from Pyro and Mithra, they did not have the me costume for a character named Lloyd. And if you know anything about the me costumes from the previous game, we now have every me costume that was from the previous game, except for Lloyd Irving from Tales of Symphonia. And I would have to say Lloyd is one of my top two characters that I want in Smash. And with two characters left to be revealed in the second Fighters Pass for Super Smash Brothers Ultimate for DLC, I'd really, really love it if Lloyd would survive. I'm sure people would be very angry to have another anime swordsman, but the fact that Lloyd's me costume is the only me costume that has not been revealed for purchase yet, I, I have hope that Lloyd might have been upgraded to a playable fighter. But we'll have to see what happens. They're probably just will release his me costume in the next with the next fighter or whatever, but I, I wanna hope. I wanna believe. So thank you for listening to this week's uh Game Guide Podcast. You can always email me about anything at gameguidepodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back next week to go over the latest gaming news. So I hope you'll see you there. Remember to always be kind to one another and do your best in everything that you do. Thanks very much. Goodbye. Thank you.